Hey, this is Mel Engel, CEO and Chairman of Predictive Oncology. If you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannunzos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Mel Engel, and was named the Chief Executive Officer or uh, of Predictive Oncology on March the 19th of 2021. He's also the firm's chairman of the board and assumed the responsibility of chairman in 2020. With over 20 years leading both large and small-sized firms as CEO, Mel has extensive experience in turning companies around, driving sales, creating business, raising money, and developing high-performance teams. The Napa Chamber, Chamber of Commerce and State of California honored Mr. Mel as Napa's 2007 Citizen of the Year for his community leadership. A huge amount of experience and wealth of knowledge. Mel, a big welcome to you. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. So I've given our listeners a little bit of a background about you. Tell me more about your background. Anything else you want to share? Oh, so I was raised uh, in the Bay Area of California back when in 1950, when before things got crazy, and find myself now as a CEO of a company in, in the cancer business, and we our goal is to eliminate cancer. So I've gone from the beginning to the end through pharmaceutical companies and also through consumer products. And uh, my claim to fame is, is I'm a financial guy, but really a strategic thinker. And I believe that strategic thinking is, is really the key to leadership. If you know where you're going, people will want to follow you, but you don't necessarily know where you're going. That's where you need to get the input from others. So it's kind of a circular argument. The point is, is that leaders lead and followers follow. And sometimes you can you can actually learn how to lead um, by watching others. Leadership is not a God-given right. You don't wake up with a gene saying you're going to be a leader. You have to actually have the experience in your life to be able to make that happen. Kind of getting down a little bit of the track of where you want to go on this is, but I've been, everything I've done, I've tried to, to be in a leadership role because my father imparted a kind of a wisdom in my mind way back in the old days was that if you're not going to be a leader, get out of the road, let someone else do it. But, you know, either, either you're lead or you get the heck out of the way and you use some other terms. But it becomes a, a passion that when you have an opportunity to, to see the success of, of having others follow with you, not for you, but with you, it kind of generates additional momentum for the future. And it's, it becomes a you, you learn from what you've done and, and what went right and what went wrong. And along the way, you figure out what you didn't do right and you want to make sure you didn't do that again. 
That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some beautiful things that you've shared there. Strategic thinking is the key to leadership, and uh, that's really important. And and Mel, do you see? Well, before I go there, actually, let me just ask a question because you actually said you 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 were in the Bay Area. So, Bill and Dave Packard and Hewlett, uh, Hewlett. So the HP, that's where I was born, in the Bay Area there. Did you ever get to meet those two gentlemen? The uh, senior class president of my high school was was uh, Bill Hewitt's son. So that was that was cool. Though. So my next door, uh, two doors down, worked for Hewlett Packard, and he was he went to the Colorado Springs plant and actually opened it back in the fifties. So there's a lot of similarities there because Palo Alto is a hotbed of of you know new tech from the old from the beginning. So I, my neighbors were from all sorts of really Lockheed and so forth. It was quite a hotbed. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've been in that area, I don't know, I was used to go so three, four, five times a year over several years in that, in that area to go to Palo Alto and that. And um, of course, we used to take some of the executives who flew in from around the world in different events that we were doing. We would take them to the garage and to the house there and uh, see the garage and so forth. And either from a distance, uh, every now and then we were able to get into the garage. That was very, very rare. And yeah, that whole place, as you said, it was just where a lot of IT companies and organizations are today and um, have been and taken off from there. So strategic side of things, the, the strategic thinking. Do you feel like today that a lot of leaders are working in that strategic place or are they very tactical in what they're doing on a daily basis? I think there's a lot more techno- technical aspect to it because we're in that era. But I think that if you have a, if you surround yourself with, with people who have a, a vision that that they're looking, say, 30 degrees over the horizon. Mm. You, can, can, you can only see so far, but you want to imagine what's out there and you can actually predict the future or you can see the, 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 the evolution of, of where things are going. Um, generally, if you can then put that into writing or in, into a verbal or into it, somehow the people can, can follow you, you'll generate a, a following. I mean, you, you, there's leaders all over the world of, of people who have, you know, led countries into like, Germany had a you know had a leader there, but they, they it was the wrong kind of leader. But nevertheless, there are people who really want to follow those who who believe in the future. Um, or I'm not, I'm clearly of a strategic mind, and that is that if you can have the most capable people around you, I call this. There's no cloned rangers. If you want to, I want to surround myself with the best and brightest people who, who have skills outside of my own, and that way I can learn from them and, and help uh, determine the future by by using their technology and their aspects and and, and what they're uh, envisioning. But it can't just be one leader saying, follow me. You've got to have a team and you've got to have people who believe in the overall vision and then be able to make it happen. Yeah, great. And and going back to what you said there around the strategy side of things, I mean, a lot of organizations that I go into and I ask the, the senior leadership team, you know, what is the strategy of the organization? Can you tell me? And sometimes it's like, there's crickets. You, there's, they're not sure on what to articulate it to me. How come organizations are like that? How, why do they? Why are some of them not? It's not just some. There's quite a lot of them not able to actually articulate the strategy to somebody asking them. Well, I think that sometimes the near-term profitability gets into into the way of long-term thinking. And you know, some people come into the company and they want to make a strike and and make a bunch of money on stock options and move on and sell the company. And, you know, those are, that's not really strategic. That's just, that's a tactical way to get paid in the short run. And you see a lot of those churning kind of companies. The legacy companies that you see out there now are, are splitting into two and splitting into four, like General Electric and others have been around for a long time. But they're now thinking about, does it make sense for us to be the same structure as before, the same thinking as before? Should we be better off in smaller buckets? 
I think that kind of thinking is perhaps a little novel, but nevertheless, it, it is, it's not totally novel. It's been done oftentimes, but sometimes the leaders need to be able to say, the status quo is not good enough. We're going to have to do this differently. And, and how does that look? And let's just let's do a profit loss on this. What kind of cash flow are we going to get? What kind of market share are we going to get? How, what kind of message on the planet will we have? How much impact will we have? So it becomes a, a much bigger uh, conversation at the board, I'm sure, and, and the executive chairs about, you know, where the company's going, how it's going to get there. When you, when you, I was with Smith Klein way back in 1982 when Allergan was sold. That used to be part of the business. It was, it was spun off. And it was part of Smith Klein before it was spun off. And the rationale behind that was that the PE ratio of Allergan by itself was more than what the, the PE ratio of, of Smith Klein was. And so therefore, if you're a shareholder, you can, you can enjoy that, that lift as well as being able to get additional funding that you wouldn't have had before. And make, thinking out of the box allows for creative things to happen. And that's where leaders come in to be able to paint that picture for the future. Thinking outside the box allows the creative side to come in. Brilliant. I love that. And I'm actually taking a note here. Thinking outside the box, creative things happen. That's good. Uh, Mel, thanks for sharing so far around your experience and what you're seeing and so forth with leaders. My question to you is, how, how did you get into leadership? Well, I guess I had mentioned before that my father had an influence on me. And one of the things that he had said when I was traveling with him one day, we, we looked into the to a Vespa motor scooter business in uh, Amsterdam. And I, th- I thought, wow, that's really cool. I want to get a Vespa. And I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And he says, you know what? You can have that Vespa. If you earn the money, you can have whatever you want. You want a Vespa. You want something else. You earn the money. You pay for the gas and oil and the helmet and the insurance and all those other things. You can, If you earn the money, you can get it. And so that became kind of a thinking process for me about how I was going to earn money. So it became a... I don't know, a way of thinking of being able to do multiple things. I was selling Pepsi at Stanford football games. I was a waiter in a hotel. I had a paper route. You know, I had all sorts of things that were generating income that I was able to do what I wanted to do because my dad gave me the authority to do it. So in business, if you plant a seed in the head of your people about you, can, we can do basically anything we want to as long as it makes sense. And it has a, a life to it that, that we can communicate, then we'll do it. So there's, there's risk and reward in life. And if you're able to, to have that relationship with your people, they're not going to give you cockamamie ideas. They're going to give you ideas that are going to be the right ones. And so you, you learn that. I, I learned that kind of at the knee. And then being involved with, with the community and volunteerism and, and being involved with sports, a lot of that comes because I was a guy who was the big mouth, I guess, put my hand in the air and say, I'll do it. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get a team together and go do it. And so th- those kind of things turn out the adage I say, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. So while you're at it, be the best and uh, and do it right. If you're going to be a bear, be the grizzly. And if you're going to do it, be the best at it. Nice. That, that's right. I, I think that's probably hitting the nail on the head just there, because the thing is, is that some people, as you said before earlier on, if you don't want to lead, then get out of the way and let someone else get on with it. But then if you are going to be the leader or be the bear, be the grizzly, and be the best that you can be at that. I think it's spot on. It's uh, where people need to be world-class in what they're doing. They need to be, and even if it's in a community level, do what you do, but do it really well. And I think that's tremendous. Now, you've, you've mentioned your dad before, and the question I've got here is, it might be him and it might be someone else. Who's your favorite leader and why? Now, this person could be alive or from history, but if there's one person, 
I'm sure there's many, Mel, but if there was one, who was your favorite leader and why? Well, the one that comes to mind is it's not my father. I, I um, was too close to him to really be able to see the leadership outside of, you know, the kitchen table conversations that I would have. But this is more when I worked for a pharmaceutical company called Allergan back in 1982 or so forth. The, there was a the president of the company's name, Bill Shepard. And Bill was a guy that um, started with a company in the in the um, R&D lab. He was a bench chemist. He moved from there. He got into the marketing side of things. He actually was in the sales force for a while. He ran the, the R&D organization. He became president of the company. He was involved with the spinning off of the company. He was one of the most talented guys. And so I, I saw in him not only the talent that he had, but also the way that he went about his business. And he really believed in his people. And one of the things that I took personally is that he believed in me. When I came in as a director of financial planning, he moved me to CFO by the time I was 32 years old. And that was a risk that he took because he really believed that I could do it and I had demonstrated, but he was, he didn't have to do that. So I wasn't, you know, that had the way that he handled that and the way that he handled himself as being a leader and having people working with him instead of for him. And I, I would say that I carry just many, many principles that he taught me to this day because of the influence that he had. But it was, it was he did it because he learned the hard way. And I really admire him for that. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, it's awesome that he's giving you the opportunity to, to step up and do that because he actually saw you, uh, something in you and believed in you. And I love his, the, the way he talks about it, that it's working with him, not for him. I think right. that's, that's, that's a great attitude and a great way to look at things for sure because uh, I think people want to be part of the journey with you, be part of the story, be part of the, the whole sort of thing that's moving forward. And it's a different way of looking at it, and I think it's a very good way of doing it. Look, the, the show is called Leadership is Changing, and, and Mel, when I mention that title, what does that mean for you? Well, the, the leadership as uh, uh, literally, I guess, leadership is leadership because that's that's a definition in a dictionary. Um, that's not going to change. But the, but how it, how it actually pans out, how you see it in the daily in our daily lives is is what's different. And I think that technology has a lot to do with with changing that's going on in our lives now. Just the whole environmental situation, I mean, the, the macro economic changes and macro political changes that are going on in the world are out there and we have to be able to deal with it. So leadership is is comes down to how, how do you actually make something better from what you inherited? And how do you actually move the needle to something that is of the, of the greater good? And so a leader is able to figure that out and, and make that happen. So le- leaders are, are not, as I said before, are not, um, it's not, you're not born with it. You actually learn it along the way. Some people are born into it, like the Kennedys, for an example. But they had, they had in, in those days, name recognition was very important. In today's environment, name recognition is not necessarily as important. You see people who are leading organizations and, and things in the, in the world, if you will, and then they come from nowhere. But who would have heard of Bill Gates before Bill Gates? You know, th- those kind of things um, come up because they have a passion in their heart about how they want to make this world better. And that, that they must have learned that at the knee with their parents or environmentally or whatever. Leadership is always leadership. It's a matter of how you actually get it in your system to make it better. And if you have a desire, you get out of the way, you know, the Katie bar the door. Yeah, excellent. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it, is, it is in the dictionary, as we said, the meaning's there. And leadership is leadership. How you do it, how you deploy it, how you is really important. And I think also, Mel, when we are leaders in different roles or even in the community doing something, it's not what we say only, but it's how we say it and and how we come across. In other words, how do we show up? And it's the showing up that's going to really count for a lot of us. And, and, and 
for us as the leader, but also for those who are experiencing our leadership too. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, in my coaching business that I had before this current job, I, I spent a lot of time with CEOs um, coaching them on um, behaviors that they're demonstrating uh, with their people, for an example. And I, was, I would advise them, I'd say, you know, if you were to do that over again, what would you do? And then they would come back and they would tell you something that's different than what they did. And generally, they, when they have a chance to actually think about it, they come up with better answers. But the point is, is that sometimes you have to take them aside and say, you know, the, the way that these things are most effectively done is that instead of you taking on a, a person in the middle of a meeting and then tearing a strip off them, why don't you take them to your office at some point in time and have a cup of coffee with them and explain, you know, what your view of the world is and where, where you see the company going and, and, and ask for them, you know, where, where, where they are and to make sure you're on the same page and then figure out how you can get back on the same page together and have a non-confrontive, positive conversation about the future. You know, people are going to follow that. That's how they want to be treated. That's the family approach. That's so often that that gets out of control where you've got power brokers in the middle of meetings with, you know, the politics going on and, and calling the shots. And, and it's, it's just, it's reckless. You get home and you're totally exhausted. And that's not how the company should be run. Effective leaders are able to, to make these subtleties happen in real world, real ways. Mm, excellent. I like that. And a lot of things can be resolved over a cup of coffee. In other countries, it's a cup of tea. Other exactly. countries, it's over a beer. And it's just, it's what it is, is it's actually having a dialogue and talking about it. And you know what, leaders? You might actually learn something from others because you might have a point of view and you might be being quite tougher with people, but they might be right. They may actually bring something else, another idea to the table, and you'll miss out on that idea if you don't give them the opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's okay to yell and scream at each other if it's in a private room. And, you know, emotions are normal. I mean, if you have a different opinion than the other person, you can, you know, you can use your voice. You can use your, you can slam your fist on the desk. doesn't really matter. But you don't do that in a public forum with others around. You're able to have a, a, a private time to be able to air your differences. It just it is dysfunctional to have that happen in the middle of a group of people, in my opinion. So, Mel, you've talked about technology and, and the way things are getting faster or making, there's, there's a lot of change. And so we're today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world. What makes a leader successful today in that kind of world? Well, I think it's information is king. How do you surround yourself with people who know what are going on and be able to be feeders to you to be able to make the, the, the critical decision? It's it's there's so much change that goes on competitively, environmentally, you know, legally. So many things that that you need to to stay on top of, and it's it's impossible as a one individual to be able to get that information. You know, the president of the United States surrounds himself or herself with with uh, advisors, and there's thousands of them. And how you know the thing that boggles my mind is how all that information comes to to get to the to the chief executive. Same kind of thing in business is that so, so you need to be able to surround yourself with those who who know what's going on and who can actually communicate effectively and quickly to you, so that you can lead the, the conversation towards the best answer. Sometimes decisions, I look at decisions as there's decisions that are one person to make, which are independent, autonomous decisions. The next are, are consultative decisions, and that's where the CEO listens to what people are telling he, he or she and being able to say, say to them, I want to get your input, but I reserve the right to make the final decision. And then there's the joint decision, which is the decision which is reached upon by everybody. And that's even harder that you see that in Japan where you got the consensus decision making. But when it, what ends up happening is that if you're a, a decent CEO, you're, you're able to, to get the, the information and knowledge and the input from those people around you 
quickly, effectively, so then then a decision can be reached and you can move on. So many companies get bogged down in paralysis and analysis. But it's if people know going into it, what kind of conversation, what kind of decision is this going to be, boss? When I'm making the call. All right, so we know. At least we know what's going on. If it's something that you should be doing in your own job description, you do it. I'm not going to bother you. But at least people know what the what the rules of the game are, and I see that to be a um, very effective way of communication. Yeah, and today, Mel, do you think that the leaders do need to sort of take stock or step back and think about this question? Do I have the right leaders around me today? Yeah, that's that's half the battle. That I would say that half of my time was was worried about the people, and the other half of the time was you know the business. But if you had the right people in place, you're you're good. It is it is really that's what the board of directors too. They 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 they're and they're empowered to to make those decisions. But if you have the right people on the field, you're going to win. And uh, you can see that in sports. You can see that in life. But it's not just one person, not the quarterback. You know, making the decisions. It, it has. You've got to have the entire field um, staff with the right people. Yeah, nice. Based on your experience, when you say the right people, what what would be some things? I mean, there's probably going to be many things, but what would be one or two or three things that makes up the right person? Well, I think that if they have the right ethical approach to business and that they want to do things, you know, according to the law and according to the morals of, of society, and, and because there's just too much stuff that's going on these days that is not along those lines. And I, I really believe in if, if you do it the ethical way, you're going to win. It's it's And everybody's going to win because they're going to follow somebody who's doing things right. And I, I think that there's no there's no room today for, for doing things to cheat, you know, or to do some things that you read about. So I think that if, if people understand that that's how you're wired, then they'll be They'll be, they will come to you and they will bring their thinking as well the same way. But I think that ethics is, is, a, is a key thing. Second is, is intellectual intelligence. I'm kind of a double entendre. But if, if you're smart, people see that. And, and if you have the intelligence to be able to, to have a conversation with somebody where the, the first and second and third question can be answered, and then you delegate you know, the deeper dive kind of conversations to those who, have, who are really into the detail, then you're going to be able to hold your own and people will treat you as a legitimate player. If you're somebody who doesn't know the detail or doesn't know the company, doesn't know the strategy, then you're going to be powerless because people go behind you. You've got to be able to hold your own. You've got to be in, in if there's arguments, if there's if there is differences of opinion, if there's trench stuff that has to happen because that's the way it is in the real world, you gotta be able to have the guts and fortitude to be able to get through that. And leaders win by doing that because they, they know how to get things, but they gotta do it the right way. And they just can't be cheating is not uh, not a good thing, in my opinion. No. Two good points. Thank you. Now you and I have been talking about leaders, boards. CEOs, C-suite, executives, managers, and we've been looking through that, that lens. Now, if we look through a different lens, let's talk about the employees today. And you, you've touched on a little bit earlier on as well, but has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, I think that there are, you've seen that all the time where it used to be that employees would stay with the company for five years or longer because they felt that that was you know, morally right for the company and they, they didn't want to be looked at as a job hopper. Employees now are, are there's there's no loyalty really. They could go across the street to make more money, and if they make another ten thousand dollars, they'll do it. You see that churning all the time. You, you see employees not wanting to come back to work. They see you see employees who have you know if they're looking at a, a management that's got one view on one particular party or one type of mask 
or no mess. You know, people are have got their own minds made up now. There used to be there was a lot of loyalty to the to the companies. Um, that's gone. I think the people are, are really out there looking out for themselves and their families. And if you can meet the, those needs, then they'll stay with you. And that really comes down to me is is a word called feedback. Feedback between management uh, at whatever level, if it happens to be the senior level with the CEO having a conversation with the board or, or with employees, or if you're a middle manager and, and you're, you're supervising a group of, of younger people or whatever, and you, you have to have a feedback mechanism for people to tell you the truth. You know, what we want you to do is to stop doing this, boss. We want you to start doing this, boss, and we want you to continue doing this, boss. So, and having a conversation that is the, the boss actually listens and does something about it, then all of a sudden there's a dialogue between the leader and, and the subordinate to the point where the leader will listen to what the subordinates are saying. And then the conversation becomes powerful because you're going to be looking at the common good. I think those are, those are important values to have and, and be able to do it on an annual basis. Be able to, I think I, I use the expression feedback breakfast of champions. It used to be Wheaties was a, was some cereal we used to eat. But anyway, it was in the, in the old days. If you could actually get that feedback, you would, you would learn an, an enormous amount of things that your employees are wanting to tell you. And then you can change your behavior and you can actually be, you know, get even better results. Yeah, absolutely. Be willing to listen, listeners, leaders, be willing to listen, go out and get their feedback and uh, listen to your employees. about it. Yeah. Well, don't, don't be defensive. Just, okay, that's a good idea. I'm not going to do that anymore. Thank you. Huh. Yeah. Mel, you're right, because some, people, some of them do get defensive. It's not about them. It's about what's going on. And so listen to it. But then, as you just said, do something with it. And uh, that that's really, really key. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the people have a lot and they have that interest. They want it. When you said about the not being loyal as much as they used to probably with companies, but they are being more than worried more about their families and so forth. So they're being lo- their loyalty is there, but they, they will get behind a purpose, a story, a leader, an organization, a cause. They'll get behind that if they feel like they're part of it. If they feel like, and that's what you're saying, it's about listening to them, involving them, and then take from there. It's harder and harder to be able to get that loyalty, but when you find it and the people, you know, do it, then you've got them, and they'll stay with you for a long time. But the point is, is that things used to be in the old days is that you would work 25 years and get a gold watch, and they say thank you very much, adios. Yeah. Uh, but now, so now there's choices. People can, you know, stay a year or longer depending upon who they're working for, and if you can give them a compelling reason to stay with your company because you're treating them right, you're paying them fairly, and and their career goals are are aspirations are met. Okay, you've got it. And so that, that, that's, that's not that hard to be able to make that environment happen. It just takes some focus on it. I remember starting as a graduate about 33 years ago, 34 years ago. I was like, oh, and then they were talking about being in the organization for 25 years, 30 years, and you get a gold watch and a dead chuck um, at the end as a retirement sort of thing. And, and I'm like, well, do I want that? Do I want to stay in this organization? But I went and came, you know, in that same organization to do off to other things. And I loved the people. In fact, I missed the people that were there. And one brand in particular, and before it was bought out, and I, I loved it. I would go the extra mile for it. Why? Because it was more the people and the leaders I was working with, as you're saying, they were willing to listen to Dennis. They were wanting to know what Dennis wanted to think about or be part of. And, and they involved me. They were smart, very smart people. And, and actually doing it because that's how I stayed longer. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a great company you're working for. Yeah. Uh, everybody should be so lucky. 
And that was a company called EDS, which was Ross Perot started it and oh, in Plano, yes. Texas, right? And I just loved it. And even today, there is a Facebook group of the EDS alumni, and we still stay in contact with people, thousands of people around the world. And it was just like, wow, what a, it's just a legacy, but it's gone off to morph into other areas too. Well, Dennis, there's a, an, an, I've got an, a, a, perhaps a different approach to that kind of thing when your loyalty is one thing. The other is, is when you're looking at your career with a capital C, this is this is not just you know how much money you're making today versus a year from now, but this is where do you want to be when you retire and where are you now and what is that? Where, so you want to get there. So how do you do it? And the things that I, I, I mentioned to people is that if it's in twos, that if you can work for let's say two companies at least, or you can work for t- in two countries that you have developed two languages, that you have two levels of expertise. Let's just say you're you're good in sales and marketing and you're good in finance or you're good in uh, whatever. And then you're in, then you become involved in, in two, setting two strategies. So, so, so having the opportunity, to, and you can't do that all in one company. Sometimes you actually have to move to be able to get that ticket punch. But by the time you, you're looking at where you want to be, you want to be a CEO someplace, it's hard to see where a CEO has actually been able to do it straight up, you know, in one company. So what ends up happening when the winds start to blow and you're in a, in a palm tree, you're going to get blown off. But if you're in an oak tree, when you've had an opportunity to move back and forth within different companies, when the wind comes along, you're going to be okay. So it becomes a matter of it's kind of fun working with really cool people. But on the other hand, you got to look after yourself in terms of what your career is. I love that analogy, the um, the oak tree. Eh? That's really good. And I can think about the roots as well, how strong and stable it is and, and grounded. And yeah, I really like that. Mel, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out here and start thinking about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think it's going to be more information-based where, you know, the as I mentioned before, the more information you know, the better you are. So the access to information will be artificial intelligence will really accelerate that. The access to international markets and being able to, I don't know, the pace of, of um, football is going to really increase. And you got to be able to handle that. You know, when you move from college to, to professional, that's what they always say. It's so much faster. And the, the athletes have to adjust to that. And they do. And then most of them are successful. The point is that's how business is. Things are going to get things are going to get faster and more frantic. And I mean, we're we're in a, a changing economy, changing environment, changing political things. You know, this whole global warming thing. There's there's just the change is out there, and it's a matter. You know, I'm 70 years old, so I can't make that much of a difference anymore. But when if you're younger. If you're 20, 30 years old and you have an opportunity to move to help the planet, now's the time to get involved because you can actually, for your kids and for your for their kids, you know, we really need to be doing things differently and being able to have information at your fingertips. When I was growing up, there was no computers. Now they're everywhere, and you see kids and infants are, are playing around with you know telephones and stuff like that. So it's, it blows your mind to actually see that happening. But that's only 70 years or 50 years. Think think beyond that. I mean, you're you're talking about leadership in the in the future. That's what the eventuality is going to be. And how do we how do we make the tools available to, so we're more successful and that we keep this planet alive? Because we're we're heading down the wrong the wrong course right now with the. Uh, with so many things, and, and, and it's doable. We can change it if we really set our mind to it. Excellent. The pace of the ball will get faster. How are you going to handle that, listeners? And we do have to do some things and address things. And Mel, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Uh, if they go to www.predictive-oncology.com is the website for my firm. 
Awesome. Great. Thank you. Once again, pleasure having you here on, on the show. And thanks for sharing your wisdom and insights. Thank you very much. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your family, your friends, and your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.